Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to tranquil, amazing comedians and fantastic people from across the globe that inspire comedians like you and me to live the comedian's life on our own terms. Now, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends. Give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. But most importantly, subscribe on this fantastic journey as we meet these wondrous and illustrious people. Now, today's guest is Pam Benjamin. She is a very unique and intriguing lady. She runs Mutiny Radio, which is like a hub supporting creatives in San Francisco. And also, she is going to be our go-to travel guide on the San Francisco comedy scene. She is a remarkable lady and you're going to absolutely love her. Let's speak to Pam Benjamin. Yay, me, yay. That was an awesome intro. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I love comedy, yay. It's the best thing that ever happened in my life ever in the history of ever. And uh, it's changed me dramatically. And I hope, I hope it can change your life too out there. Comedian, uh, radical self-expression is important. And comedians are, I mean, look at Shakespeare and the fool and they were the smartest. They knew everything about the king, right? And the fool is the only person that can tell the king when he's not wearing any clothes. So comedy is so important politically, I think, for alternate and edgy viewpoints to come yeah, out in a comedic life. So yay, writing, yay. Yes. And so, so, I mean, like, so with comedy, like, tell us a bit about how you became a, a comedian, Pam. Were you a bodybuilder before? Were you a police officer? What led you into becoming a comedian that wants to make people laugh in rooms and bars across the globe? Yeah, well, so I was, um, I was an outsider as a child. I didn't have a lot of friends and it's better to make fun of yourself before other people can make fun of you but I've always been on stage like I was a professionally trained ballerina for 23 years and I used to play piano and I was in all the plays and I love being on stage and I was a cheerleader in high school and I just love being the center of attention yay but when I did acting and stuff like that and even karaoke any kind of performance I was dealing with someone else's words right like you're memorizing someone else's work and then you're making it your own and it's a little bit different then I I became a writer I started writing novels and stuff I ended up getting a, a master's in fiction from San Francisco State and then I stayed on and I got an MFA in poetry so here I am being a poet with all this stage time and I really liked it because I was on stage by myself with a microphone and my own words and you know I'm memorizing my poems and people said oh your poems are really funny and I was like oh you know I'm trying to be edgy and like feminist you know I was like is a poem about abortion and and people would be like oh you're gonna tell another poem about abortion but then I started telling jokes and um the joke about my abortion is much funnier but um it was 2011 it's coming my 10-year anniversary is coming up it was July 17th 2011 and I was at an open mic that I used to do poetry at and I knew some of the comedians and they were like, you know, five punchlines is three minutes. And I thought, I can do that. I'm going to do that. So I wrote five punchlines and I went up for my first time um, on, again, uh, July 17th, 2011. And I did three minutes and I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. Because poetry and comedy 
are very similar in that they're both crafting language to elicit an emotional response. And in the case of poetry, it can be any emotion. It can be longing, sadness, happiness, any, I mean, confusion, disillusionment, whatever. But with comedy, we're crafting it for laughter. And you can still get all of those other self-political bits in there. And you, but you're making people laugh. So 2011, yeah, I had my first, I still write poetry. I still write quite a bit of poetry and I uh, get to be part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. They're doing it online though on Zoom. And I was like, ah! but I, I do, I love poetry, but comedy is just so much better because it's, it's not as pretentious and it's more accessible. And I just really, I love being on stage alone with just me and a microphone and that's it. And I'm, it's like, it's a hubris thing. It's like, okay. oh, look at me. I can entertain you just my words. Look. Let me, let me add something to it. So let me just say one thing. Namaste. Hmm. Feel your chakras. <laughs> no. Um, so effectively you like the self-expression side of things and, and was there like something that happened to you when you were a kid that made you want to do it or was there something about giving me an a give me a g that made you be like yo i want to be a comedian uh you know i didn't even when I, when i was little i watched obsessively i watched and memorized um bill cosby the special he did where he was wearing the brown suit on hbo and i was probably like eight and i would watch that over and over and a dad is great he gives us the chocolate cake and i know that people are like bill cosby boo but when i was a kid i was like this guy this guy is it um and and like weird al yankovic but i wasn't i wasn't like this huge comedy fan until like the, the thousands like crank yankers and um that kind of stuff, like that was more sketchy. Oh, and I always loved Saturday Night Live. But so for me, I had always been on the side of performance that was acting and sketch and Saturday Night Live and being on stage in that constructed way. So I didn't actually come to comedy and I was 36 years old when I was like, oh, this is exactly what I need to be doing with my life. And I wish I would have found it earlier. Like, I wish someone would have told me when I was doing theater in my twenties, like, why don't you try stand-up comedy? But nobody, I just, I was, my hand was never led. I, I was a horse and I didn't get to the water until I was older. So are you describing yeah. comedy a bit like a stalker? You don't go, you don't go looking for it. It finds you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, and it found me and I, I it's there because there's something, there's something inside of me that's, and I don't want to say broken, but it's not like everybody else in that. I don't think anyone else requires this much stage time. Like me as a person, I feel more myself when I'm on stage or performing or on the radio. I feel like myself more in that context than I do when I'm living my life, talking to people, going to the store. Like I feel like my life is an act and on stage is who I am. And so I require a lot of stage time to fulfill whatever emptiness is inside of me that makes me have to have people watch me. Um, I mean, I guess I could have been a stripper, but <laughs> I don't feel that comfortable with my body. But it's, um, I, 
I don't know, why do I love comedy? And I love making people laugh. I, I love making them think. Okay, I can tell you what it is. When I was a child, I wasn't listened to very much. It was always, you're loud, shh, shh, we hear you. We're right here, shh. And I was like, you're not listening to me. You, yes, you can hear me because I'm loud, but you, you're, not, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And so, and, and for, for everything, from my parents, from my brother, from the school, from my teeth, like the kid that was answering the answer. And they would like be like, we know you know the answer. And uh, so I was always kind of silenced. And so now I think that this is counteracting that with okay now you have to listen to me because i'm the one with a microphone and nobody else is talking <laughs> okay so, so yeah. that's and, and and what what made you decide to stay why have you stayed in the san francisco comedy scene what is it about san francisco that makes it such a great comedy scene because i know it had robin williams in it as well so. right well and that was back in the day with um the holy city zoo which became a place called dirty tricks and uh, and now that's neck of the woods, next door to neck of the woods, which is a hell of funny joint, and it's it's great. They're amazing. Um, yeah, San Francisco has been traditionally an amazing place for comedy. Um, and it's I live here because it's beautiful, and I love San Francisco, and it's weird. And also, you don't have to grow up here, like both literally and figuratively. Like you can be a child adult. I mean. I'm so glad everything's opened up again because bars and <laughs> bars are open. I mean, I'm a, I love the other reason I love comedy too. It's like, am I, am I a comedian with an alcohol problem or I'm an alcoholic, alcoholic with a comedy problem? Sometimes it's hard to tell. Like I love being out. I love bars. San Francisco has a billion of them. They have an amazing nightlife. Anything can happen at any time. Like you can be walking. I mean, I know that San Francisco's open again because at 1.30 in the morning, a 21-year-old skateboarder wanted to make out with me on Geary Street. I was like, it's back. San Francisco is back. Um, it's just a really open, like free speech, edgy place. And I think that that and all of that sort of fringy art thing, even the poets, even the beat poets and that, I don't know, this San Francisco's got this otherness to it where you get to be weird and you can find your home here. So that's also, there's like, that's, yeah. And there's a lot of Burning Man people too. But for comedy, like, I don't know. It's, there's, there's so much going on that you can, I wouldn't recommend like, I'm staying in San Francisco forever because I love this place. I'm a fucking weirdo. But if you want to get famous, you go to LA or New York, like you learn in San Francisco, you get good in San Francisco because there's so much stage time and there's so many different shows and there's small shows and big shows and big clubs and bars and outdoor things now and parks and it's crazy. So there's, there's all this area for you to practice and get really good. And then you feel like you're good, move to LA or New York. I'm just never going to I'm too I'm too old to go to LA or New York. But, so what I'm trying to get at is like what is it so there's also places it's a wild city from what you say and that's what you like about it. But like how does it sort of could you gig seven times a week in San Francisco? Yeah, you can get you you can do three, you can easily do three mics on a Monday. Um 
I run an open mic on Monday and then we usually go to either Pacifica or South San Francisco. And then there's one in San Mateo. So if I can get a ride, I'll drive. But now that San Francisco's open again, I mean, you can hit, so tonight is Wednesday. So I have a show at 7.30 that I run every Wednesday. And then there's an open mic at Milk Bar that starts at 10.15 and it's awesome. So I can do two shows tonight. Now, if I wasn't running a show, I could actually do an open mic at seven. I could do a show it. I mean, on a Wednesday, even if we just opened and we still have, I mean, I do, I run five weeklies. So I do at least, and all the shows that I run, I do at least 10 minutes. And lately I've been kind of selfish and I've been doing 20. Oops. Um, <laughs> but I've been doing like over a hundred minutes a week on stage in front of audiences. So that's, that's a lot. And that's during a pandemic. So when, and when, when things open up again, before the pandemic, you could hit four open mics in San Francisco alone on a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, is that throughout the week? So every, you could do, so you could do each day is there a mic. Are you able to get yeah. every night of the week? You can, and you can multiple, you can, you can triple dip, you can double dip, you can triple dip. There's so many open mics, which is why San Francisco is a, a great place to get good. But that's the other thing is that you've got the open mics, but then there's all these shows, like the shows that I run at all my, I, can, I like to feed my comedians. So they get food and drink and cut a tips. So not only do you get a 10 minute set on one of my shows, I feed you, I give you a drink and then you get money. But so that's like, woo! That's very charitable compared to a lot of gigs. Cause is, is, is San Francisco a bit like LA and New York where it's the other way around where you have to buy a drink, pay five pounds. That doesn't happen here now. I mean, I make for, for my open mics, two of them that I run, I require people to donate two to $5 to mute me radio because I have rent on the space and we don't sell drink. We don't sell anything. We sell stage time ostensibly, but so I charge them two to five dollars only because, you know, I'm a board up. There's a live stream. You can podcast it later. It's the space. There's nothing else to buy. So I ask people to help support the station. But that's an anomaly. And people have some people have been like, we don't go to your open mic because you charge people. And I'm like, more room for other people. It Every week I've got 18 people okay. willing to give me two bucks. So I'm like, yay. So I mean, who else does that? no but it's it's okay so you balance it out a bit then <laughs> but the thing is how does the structure sort of work so if my name is um bobby carrot fish and chips and i wanted to start doing comedy in san francisco how would i start and how would i progress through the scene to doing pay gigs and what are the big clubs in san francisco yeah, so um, so Mr. Chips. Well, the first thing you would do, I would recommend, is coming on Monday to Joke Workshop, which is my show at six o'clock. And comedians get four minutes, and then they get four minutes of comments by everyone in the room. People go up to the microphones, and it's all you can listen to this podcast. I've been doing it since 2013. It's on our website, mutinyradio.fm, under Joke Workshop in the podcast index. And you can listen to people who are have been doing it that are at big clubs like Cobbs and Punchline and do big, big shows here. But also there's people who do their first time ever. So it's a great podcast to either listen to and get to know what's happening or just to come and you do your four minutes, you get your four minutes of comments. 
And then you're around all those other comedians and you start to kind of network and see what's going on and hear their work and what are they after and what are their premises. Um, and then I just follow those comedians to the next open mic. Um, but yeah, so San Francisco joke workshops, a, a great place to start, but it's really just as many open mics as you can do. Um, OMG is open again in San Francisco, which I always, always loved. Um, they do Sundays at six and Tuesdays at six and four minutes. You get six minutes if you buy a drink. And um, Rakesh, the owner is amazing. And he's $3 IPAs, like $3 racer fives. I like to drink anyway. So it's about just doing as many open mics as possible. And, um, and then you're out there. So the way I book my shows is I usually, I book people that I'm around. So if you put yourself in my gestalt comedian, so chances are I'm going to book you at some point. So what, what you're trying to get, the I want to get at is like, how do you, so you, you do open mics, as you said, you do this mm -hmm. and that, and you meet lots of people in San Francisco. You said that, but like, how does it work? Like, is there bar shows afterwards? Like you do well, you do gigs, and then someone starts suggesting bar shows. And then you start, and then what are the big clubs that are in San Francisco? So the, the biggest one is, the biggest one is probably Cobbs size-wise. It's about 400 people. And then Punchline is a big one and it, it can hold like 180 people. And there, everyone's, those clubs are just reopening. Like Cobbs just reopened two weeks ago. So things have been strange in the pandemic, but I would, those are the two biggies um, in San Francisco. But there's also, so bar shows, you do still get paid. Um, and like one of, one, of, one of the places now, neck of the woods, they have a downstairs stage and upstairs stage and they do comedy outside. So they're doing, they're running three shows simultaneous, simultaneously in this one bar that's actually next door to the old Holy City Zoo. So like getting in big, and now things are, I just did a huge show on Saturday that was at a winery. So there are big shows that aren't necessarily in the club, especially post pandemic. Like this Sunday, I'm doing some crazy show with bands and they want a comedian in between the bands. So when the bands are breaking down, they have a comic there, which is cool. And I get to do like two 20 minute sets, but the, the big clubs, you know, you get on a rotation there. So one club that has been open actually during the pandemic and they're amazing is the, it's, it's on Alameda Island. It's not in San Francisco proper, but it's in a place called Alameda and it's the Alameda comedy club and they're great. And the way that they do things, they run an open mic once a week. And then it, that's almost like a, an audition. So you do the open mic with Alameda on the Thursday, and then the owner sees you, the booker, and then later he might ask you to do something. Okay. But at that club, I got passed during, I've already performed there four times. So I'm like passed or whatever. So I get, I get to go up like every six weeks and it's, it's a great club and they just moved indoors. So Alameda Comedy Club, really cool. I got to open for Hal Sparks. That was exciting. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I like that guy. He's really great. He's my favorite Disney dad. Also a really funny guy. But um, yeah, so Alameda Comedy Club's big and they're around. But in San Francisco, bar shows can be really big shows. And especially post-pandemic, 30 people feels like a lot of fucking people. So even my show tonight that I do at Ostiento, it's at 7.30 and it's called Dinner and a Show. And people get a dinner and a drink and we do it outside in their parklet. And it's beautiful weather, so it's going to be amazing. And it's sold out. 
but it's only 38 people. Like you sell out at 38 people. So it's, it's like one of my biggest shows, but it's still only 38 people. But so all the comedians now we've sort of like changed our expectations of what an audience is, you know, like it used to be, Oh, if there's not a hundred people, am I really a professional comedian? And now it's like, geez, if there's 20, I'm happy as a clam. Like give me 20 people to, to laugh. And audiences now here because they've been so tight and locked in their houses. They're ready to party. They're ready to laugh. They're ready to. And so 20 people can feel like a lot of people. So I think our expectations have, have changed. But now and we'll see what happens with bigger shows one of the things i want to get at though you so is it basically through yeah you just do trial spots at the big clubs or you get recommended effectively that's 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 how you progress okay so there's um so something called a bringer show and so on, at a place like cods they have their shows that they book on the weekends like a thursday friday saturday sunday gig but the rest of those days other people can rent them and they'll do what's called a bringer show. So there's one called There Goes the Neighborhood. And it's basically like, if you bring people, you get to be on the show, you know? So like, if you get 20 people to go, yay, you're on the show. I don't particularly like that model because I think that it changes the expectation of the audience of what they want to see. So they think they're going to Cobbs and they go, Cobbs is the best comedy club in San Francisco. And on a Tuesday, it could be, if it's a bringer show, there's gonna be some really good people on the lineup, but there's gonna be a couple people that are really new. And you know they might be less than a year in and they've got all these people they bring. And then the audience thinks, oh, this is good comedy. <laughs> but really their person's just really green. And, and, and no offense to bringer shows. I just don't do bringer shows because I don't think I'm at the level where I could try to sell out. I don't think I could sell 200 tickets, you know? I know I can sell 40 tickets. So I particularly use venues where I'm like, that's where I feel that I can get butts in seats because I produce so many shows because I produce, but if I had, maybe if I was doing like one show a month, I would consider trying to book out Cobbs on an off night, like a Wednesday, but that's just so much pressure. Um, and then I wanna, I, I particularly, as a booker, I, I only book people that make me laugh. Like, <laughs> and I, I go to, I mean, I'm at a lot of comedy, but if, I, if, I, if I'm laughing at your jokes, I put your name down in a little thing and I'm like, I'm gonna ask you to do a show. And I don't care if you've been doing it for three months, three weeks, three years, 30 years. If you make me laugh, I'm gonna book you. If you have a name and, you know, and there are people who will come to me and they'll give me a tape and they'll be like, I've done this and this, they've got all these credits and I watch their tape and I don't laugh. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I mean, but, uh, and I have a pretty wide sense of humor. Um, but I watch a lot of tapes too. Cause I run a, I run a comedy festival every year. And so I watch an enormous amount of submission tape and we're actually doing another comedy festival uh, October 10th through 16th here in San Francisco with the Mutiny Radio. And so I'm going to have the submission forms out soon. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun. because it's, it's like, I like it to be like comedy summer camp and all the comedians network and get to know each other. And they're from all these different places. And then you've got like 
I mean, I know all these people in Boston now because they've done the comedy festival and I love going to Boston and visiting them. And, okay. and they all started, when, you know, they'd only been doing comedy for like two years, but now I've known them for five years and they're so good. I, Alex G. I just want to but, ask you a question here. So yeah. with the, so you said a bit about, okay. So it's quite similar to New York and LA in the way you progress and go forward. But like yeah. what, what I hear that there's some interesting gigs in, so all I know about San Francisco was that Charmed was made there. And, <laughs> oh, but the thing is, um, how does the, so the questions I want to ask you are, I hear that the rent and like cars and everything are extremely expensive in San Francisco. And number two, like how, so I heard my friend, a friend of mine told me, they went to a gig in San Francisco and it was just a weed open mic night. Where yeah, was... yeah, sure. Yeah, there's weed stores. Absolutely. Um, vape lounges, weed places. There's one um, urban farm used to do their dab bar. They did a comedy show and it's great. And the comedians get a free dab if they want before or after their set. I always do it before my set because I, I like to be high. Um, but yeah, weed stores. I did a comedy um showing a weed store for a while too at, at spark and uh, it's yeah people smoke all the dupes so san francisco was really expensive but the through the pandemic like everybody moved so the rents went way down so for example in my building which is in a tl in the tenderloin which is like a really dirty part of town lots of poop on the streets lots of people slamming heroin you know on my way here i walked by a bunch of people they're just sitting on the street that's just the way it is uh, and that sucks but my apartment building, and I, I'm in a small studio, but it, it, it was going for 2,300 a month, 2,300 a month for a 400 square foot studio. But after the pandemic, now they're only 1375. What? So the, the rents, a lot of rents went way down. They're still super expensive. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still expensive, but the rents did go down because of the pandemic. And as for smoking weed, that's all, I mean, oof, that's all we do out here. Like, it's the best. I mean, if you, <laughs> that might be one of the, well, it's California comedy, but California is, we're all weed all the time now. It's amazing. Like I couldn't be happier. I, I've been, I'm 46 years old. When I was in college, it was illegal. And now it's like, you can smoke in front of a cop. They don't care. It doesn't matter. It's amazing. Give them so, some. <laughs> give them some. Yeah, they'll probably, they don't mind. They're, they're nice guys. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, it's it's hard. It's such a beautiful day in San Francisco today, too. Like, come visit, come to the comedy festival and check it out. But it's it really is the best place, I think, to start comedy just because it's beautiful. There's tons of bars, weed is legal, and the stage time is just. And so when I started comedy 10 years ago, there wasn't any of this internet Facebook groups like helping you. The mics were all secret. You didn't tell people about mics because you wanted to get there before they did to sign up on the list. There weren't any of these pre-signs. There wasn't any of these new snowflakes. We give them everything. It's like, they're like, did you update the open mic list on the thing? Back in my day, there was no list. You just had to know. Um, so it does make it a lot easier and that you can just go on the internet on um, the Bay Area Comedy Network and see all of the open mics that are available, not just in San Francisco proper, but there's a ton in Berkeley and Oakland and 
all at, you know, everywhere. This whole, the whole Bay Area, uh, Castro Valley. They're, I mean, they're everywhere. So. Okay. Yeah. So. And what is the what is the thing that I hear? So is there different types of gigs in in in? Is, so you said there's a weed type gigs. What is the also oh, burlesque? Is there? I don't know oh. gigs. I don't know what what's what what. And is there lots of different kind of gigs in? And is there sort of magic comedy in San Francisco? Is there bodybuilder there comedy? Magic. What? Nobody's nobody's doing magic. Um, like i think okay so every town's a little is a little different in, in fact so last time i was in new york i recognized how their their comedians were a little bit they speak slower they're more standoffish a little i think california in san francisco I, we see a lot of act outs like just so i mean i do a lot of energy a lot of i mean there's not a lot of like gimmicky stuff though. There's not a lot of prop comics. There's one guy that has an accordion, but that's pretty much it. Um, last night, one of the one of my buddies, he just was fucking around with a drum for no reason, and it made it really funny. No, but nobody's. Um, it's pretty much just straight comedy. I'm not. I know people that used to be in the burlesque scene, but I don't. I've never really done comedy and burlesque together. One time, I got to do. Um, a nudist colony and I got to host the show and be naked and that was really fun. Um oh okay. Yeah, that was it was weird because the whole it was one of those moments when you're like imagine the audience naked, but they really were. So it was it was funny. But uh I had a good time at the nudist so, colony. Key question. <laughs> Did you see anything you liked? No. <laughs> no. You don't look down. That's the funniest thing is I made more eye contact at a nudist colony with people than I ever have in any context. You don't look down at anything. You just sort of look at people in the face. Everyone just happens to be naked. It, it was weird. It was weird. It was fun though. Okay. And so following on from that, I've got two sort of questions to ask you. What has been the weirdest gig you've done and what's been the weirdest moment you've had in comedy? And then following on from that, how did you set up Mutiny Radio and the Comedy Festival? Yeah, the weirdest gig I've ever done was recently. A woman paid me $75 to do a 20-minute set at her baby shower in the park. So she wanted to have a baby shower. COVID was still happening. This is a couple of weeks ago. So she brought all her friends to a park. And then had me do comedy. So that was really weird because it was a baby shower. I've never done a baby shower before. And there were children, but I, I, I can keep it clean. So it was fine. Um, that was probably that one or maybe the, maybe the, the nudist colony was pretty weird. Um, I've, done, I've done house parties that have been weird, like on like 80 people in someone's house. And they, I've been on the stairs and done comedy and gotten paid and lots of drinks too many drinks um but yeah just weird context of things i mean i've done i've done everything i did the line of trader joe's like how much weirder does it get so yeah i've um i've done comedy for kids too and that that gets pretty strange because um yeah so i mean but i'll do after this pandemic i'll perform anywhere i don't i have no fear anymore i'll perform with or without a microphone inside outside 
like in your house, in your backyard, in a vape store. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like the library, whatever. Uh, tell me, tell me where the gig is and, and I'll, and I'll tell jokes. Okay. So how did I start Mutiny Radio? So I didn't actually start it. It was, it was a radio station that started in 2006. I didn't join it until 2008. Um, the person in charge left in 2011. It got taken over by a small group of people. They all decided to jump ship in 2013. And I said, I do comedy here. I can't leave this space. I love it. This is really important to me. So I sort of took over the whole business. I put my name on the business license. I started paying taxes for the first time in 10 years. I'd been in graduate school and stuff. And so I had made no money. I just didn't even have to pay taxes for 10 years. So I put the radio station in my name. I started paying taxes again. And um, I started the comedy festival in 2016. And it was because I was up in Seattle doing a little tour. And I did a festival called the Hilarious Comedy Festival with Patrick Higgins. And, um, and then who was the other guy's name? Anyways really funny guys. And I loved this comedy festival. I had so much fun. I met so many people. I had the best time. It, it seriously like felt like summer camp. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I could do this because I have a venue like, and I can put it all on the radio. I can do comedy festival. So in 2016, I, you know, made a little submission form and I put some flyers together and I put it out to the world. Hey, we're having a comedy festival. And I think I did 25 shows in five days and it was great. I met a bunch of comedians. That was the first annual. And then every year it's gotten bigger as I understand more and more what I'm doing and how to do it. So this year, last year was great. We, we did it right before, it's happened right before the shutdown. So it was the first through 7th of March in 2020. And then right after that, boom, everything shut down. And I was like, ha ha, I got to do my comedy festival, which was great. And that I get to bring it back in 2021, just a little bit later in October makes me really happy. But so I open up submissions and um, people send a tape and a little bit of money, which helps the station, yay. And then I watch all of the tapes live on the air so that people actually get airtime as well. So I take their tapes and put them, I like watch them live, have them be podcast like this. And then after one of my, comedy buddies we talk about them you know and give them pointers and stuff and then we and then I and then I judge I get people to come so this year's going to be different in that I'm not doing in the station itself I'm going to be doing podcasting and some open mics but all of the show shows are going to be at six alternate venues so the, they're the venues I work with right now it's the bar at Dolores Atlas Cafe Asiento um, El Rio is going to jump on board, OMG, and the Milk Bar guys. So I'll have six venues, and I'll, I'm planning to do it outside. We'll see. We'll see if it's going to be inside or outside. I don't know. I'm so flexible, though. It doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, it'll be two shows a night at two different venues happening um, for the whole week, so or five days. So Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So five days. So it'll be like more than 10 shows though. Anyways, it's going to be great. It's going to be, I'm still working out in my head, like the logistics of working at other venues because I've always done it here at the station and just done everything here. But I realized that because I don't sell anything and I can't really 
sell any, it's like people, people want to drink when they're watching comedy and we can't do that at the radio station because it's not legal. It's not zoned for that. So working with other venues behooves me in the future for the, the festival because audiences will be happier <laughs> because they can eat and drink and experience instead of it just being like comedy. Now, tell, tell us a bit about the, the, so you said a bit about San Francisco and the culture, right? But now I want to talk a bit about, so what about, the, so what's this thing with Silicon Valley and like, how does that work? And I hear there's electronic cars in San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, there's, um, there's self-driving cars and there's also like electric cars. There's Priuses everywhere and Teslas and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people that used to work in Silicon Valley used to live in San Francisco and that's why the rents were so high. But once the pandemic hit, they all moved out because, you know, why live in the most, why spend $4,000 on rent for your apartment when you can live in your parents' basement for free and still make $300,000 from Google, right? So all those guys that are making, you know, the 24 year olds that are making $250,000 because they work for Twitter or Google or Genentech or whatever, thing they work for because they all went remote access they all just left so it was actually kind of nice because all the douche douchey rich people left but the problem with artists is we need the douchey rich people because they're the ones with money who want to see us be crazy right because they because their lives are just boring and stupid and all they do is go to work all day and i don't know code i don't know what they do i have no idea they stare at screens and pass memos memos around whatever they do for their like, insane amounts of money but we need them because artists need the rich people to give us the money so that we can keep performing but a lot of those people left there was a huge flight out of san, out of san francisco because everyone started working remotely um but there's still a lot of money here other the people that stayed there's 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 money there's there's a big difference you can san francisco has haves and have nots and the disparity is growing and it's obvious like okay. yeah it's 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 it can be very i've been living here for 14 years now so it isn't as shocking to me anymore but people who come to san francisco for the first time they will be shocked by the dichotomy of the affluence versus the indigence like there are we have like 10,000 homeless people. They're very vocal and they are there. And you, and people, people are just like, what is happening here? <laughs> I mean, there's tents on like every street people live and having a tent is nice. There are people even that live without tents. So, wow. Um, but that disparity is, is, is widening that, that gap. And it's, it's, it's pretty scary. But yeah, that's that's kind of some real talk about San Francisco. But it's still a magical place. <laughs> but it's not. But is it as bad as LA? Because I hear. I mean, I've been to LA and New York. Their, theirs is bad too. It's worse, and I would say it's worse because it's ubiquitous throughout the city. Maybe not in the marina, which is like the super richy hotsy totsy pants, the the top of the maybe Knob Hill, those areas because no crackheads don't like to walk uphill. But it's different in that in LA, it's like not in the area where, like if you go to Santa Monica, 
in LA, you aren't going to see people just living on the street. Like it seems like they're, it's in certain pockets, right? But in San Francisco, it's everywhere. Like I can walk two blocks, I'm in the mission right now and I can walk two blocks and there's tents there. I live in the Tenderloin. I live, that's two and a half miles from here. It's downtown, but there's people just everywhere on the, just, it's like, I mean, I don't want to be like, it's like India, like people have to step over people, but it's, it's shocking. More than LA, more so than New York. Um, Cause it's warm here too, you know? So everyone can kind of be outside. Um, but yeah, it's a huge, it's the questionably housed population in San Francisco is a huge issue that we didn't deal with during the pandemic. It's their, their lives are exactly the same. They're, it's, it's, it's a bummer. Um, and it's a bummer because you've got the, you've got these rich little kids make, you know, 25 year old kids making ridiculous amounts of money and they're sitting there going like Ugh, there's such a homeless problem in san francisco and it's like you're the only ones that can fix it you're the rich people like come i feel like google could fix the problem right now if they wanted but um corporate greed you know we're not a we're not a socialist nation so okay and how does the districts in san francisco work then is it like is it like in chicago one size rich North side's rich, south side's poor. Is it like that? Um, so I guess there's like 11 districts in San Francisco. And um, it's not that they're, the, the thing is nobody's poor in San Francisco because the only poor people are the people that can't afford housing. Like if you, it's like you're either homeless or you're housed. You're either homeless or you're a renter. And that's tough, I'm a renter. If you own anything in San Francisco, you're rich. Any house in San Francisco is worth more than a million dollars. There's no house that's less than a million dollars here. Most of them are multi-million dollar homes at this point. Um, so you're either you're either a poor renter, or you're a rich homeowner, or you're an indigent person. But it's it's all over the entire city. In that, so I live in the TL, the Tenderloin. That's primarily a renter district. There aren't a lot of people that there really no. It's all apartments. So that's like the poor part of town. Um, the mission here, it's a lot of houses, but then there's a lot of renters in houses. Um, but there's a lot of families here too that have been here for years and years and years. Like there's a Hispanic population that's been in the mission for a really long time, but then they've gotten sort of pushed out um, or they wanted to sell their houses because they're worth millions of dollars now. But I wouldn't say there's like a poor side and a rich side. It's like maybe, okay, there's two neighborhoods that are that are dirtier than the others. One's called the Soma, the South of Market, and the other's the Tenderloin. And those are the two where you, you know, you see a lot of people slamming heroin at the bus stop. It's just kind of, you know, you, there's needle, there's a lot of needles that you see just willy-nilly in the streets, whatever. Okay. Um, that's pretty common. So that's the, that's the Compton of San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there aren't, isn't, I mean, I wouldn't say there's not a lot of gang activity. The, the gang stuff is like usually Hispanic gangs. It's like um, the Norteños and the Sureños are the ones like that are around that would be gang stuff. But there's not, and there used to be a lot of gang activity in the mission here in this district, but it's gone away because it's been so gentrified. Like, 13 years ago, you might get hit by a stray bullet, but now you're going to get hit by a baby stroller. You know, it's like that now. There's just dogs in strollers, babies in strollers. It's been, 
been gentrified. But is that such a bad? You take the good, you take the bad. I mean, it's a safe, things are a lot safer now, but I'd rather have, I'd rather have culture rather than, you know, the rich people taking over with their babies. Although I used to nanny, so that's great too. Thanks for the job, rich people. I mean, I almost feel like it's like, so I watch Downton Abbey because I'm addicted to all things English. Oh. I mean, I love, I'm insane. I love Call the Midwife. My poor, my poor neighbors must think I'm having crazy sex because every time a baby's born on Call the Midwife and I'm listening to it, it's these horrible sounds. It's just very funny. But I love all things English. But the, the Downton Abbey thing, I feel like there's a servant class and there's not the aristocracy, but there's this upper class and there's a service class and there are people in san francisco that are bartenders and servers and i'm a comedian and artists and nannies and um lift drivers and cab drivers and and they're serving and chefs i know a lot of cooks i used to cook professionally and they're the people that are serving these rich people that all work at these fancy jobs and you know, it's, it's like, we need each other. <laughs> we need, because that's the other thing, food in San Francisco is really expensive. Like, you know, if you can get a, a sandwich for $12.95, that's a deal. That's like a super deal, like a $12.95 sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Not pounds, dollars. So it's, you know, like Five but pounds. $12, $12 for a sandwich and people going like, Ooh, that's a good deal. Whoa. I mean, there's no $5 lunch. Like I know a couple of the deals. Hey, here's the thing. It's from San Francisco. There's a banh mi place on 20th and Bryant. They have 2.99 chicken banh mi's. 2.99. That's like the cheapest place in town. And at a place called El Toro on 17th Street, they have $1.50 tacos from 3 to 5 Monday through Friday with free chips. What? So like I know where the cheap food is, but I mean $6 tacos, that's like pretty norm you know um some of the bars around here are like you know nine dollars for a modello what okay. so me... yeah things are expensive food and drink is expensive in san francisco unless you hunt the deals so you said a lot of interesting things there now with the san francisco scene as a whole one thing i'd like to ask how has it changed comedy wise this comedy scene since you started to how it is now and who are examples of comedians that you are like my god this is the way to improve and progress in san francisco comedy scene and what are the cliques in san francisco oh yeah there's so many cliques so there's the hella funny click and that's um he's amazing destroy moid and he has a he has a a contingency of people that run shows for him and he has multiple venues all over the bay area and he was doing it before pandemic a little bit during but now he's back up and running and he's got his whole group and they're called hella funny uh i mean i would say i've got a click i've got the mutiny radio people like there are people i'm a, I'm a polarizing figure in san francisco comedy and that there are people that love me and then there are a lot of people that do not like me at all and they're, you're either in one camp or the other. You're either like, oh my God, I love Pam. She's the best. Or you're like, fuck that cunty bitch. And I mean, it's it's fair. There, it's only because I'm, I'm super honest and I don't blow smoke up anybody's ass and I never, I don't pull any punches. I, 
if, if I just tell people, and that's a problem, I should probably be more political because I burn, it's not that I'm burning bridges. I just tell people, comedians are narcissists. They don't want to hear anything about themselves. They don't want any hints. They don't want any help. They want, they want everything to be perfect all the time. I get it. So do I. Um, but so I'm a polarizing figure, but I would say that I have, I have kind of my own clique. Um, there's a group of the, the lake guys. There's a group that there's a group of Oakland guys and they all did the lake for a while. And that's kind of a clique. Um, and then there's the people that aren't in any clicks at all. They just do all the shows because somehow they've managed to get along with everybody. I don't know how they do that, but that's also because they don't book shows. I think that the clicks start forming around people who are bookers. And it's like, you book the people that you are around and hang around with and get along with. And then there are people who, I mean, I kind of wish I didn't book so much. I wish I was just a comedian and I could just hit people up and be like, just do other people's shows and be funny and then I would be much more likable because I just go to shows and be funny and then be part of everybody's thing. But when you, you know, when you start booking a lot of shows and doing your own thing, it's all, you create your own little island. So I'm, I'm kind of on an island. I think that a lot of people respect my island right now. And I think that the pandemic, my island grew a little bit, but you know, there's still are all these different little pods and, and people talk mad shit about each other. So it's, um, it sucks. It's a lot. It can be, it can be really, it can be like high school a lot. And I often lament that, um, that I'm not more popular. You know, I, I kind of like, Oh, I'm a, I was a cheerleader in high school and I wanted to be popular and I still want to be popular. So, but that's, that's just my ego. That has nothing to do with anything. That's just like, I want everyone to like me, but isn't that why comedy really is about standing on stage and having everybody like you it's a um, Richard Pryor in 78 before he went on stage he was being interviewed and he, the person asked him you know what do you want right now and he told him I just want them to like me and I was like oh my god that's it you know because if the audience likes you you can say anything you can do anything and then your your material just becomes a conduit for them to like you you know it's like it's like when you see Norm Macdonald like he doesn't even have to do jokes he can just talk because everyone likes him so much. And once you get up to that famous comedian thing, like um, um, uh, what's her face? And uh, oh, God, she's so pretty and she's got that. And she's from San Francisco too. And she has a show and she's Chinese and stuff for her mom all the time. Margaret show. Yeah. Margaret show. She can just talk in front of an audience and people are, you have no idea if she's, if they're jokes she's written or if she's just talking, but she's so likable. And so everybody knows her that she can do anything. Hal Sparks, same thing. He could just talk and everyone's like, what? wow. Um, but that's the material is just a conduit to, to have the audience like you. So, and audiences usually like me. It's comics that don't like, it. no, it's just, it's all, it's all just personalities. It's, it's hard in any, any show business anywhere. That's what happens. Like, you know, ballerinas hate each other too, or whatever. <laughs> so, but who, who are, so two comedians, two things I'd like to ask them here. Who are comedians that have built like a cult following in San Francisco and can sell out any show? And who is someone that you really admire? Like who's, who are comics in San Francisco right now that you would sing the praises of and who are progressing quite well? Well, I would definitely say, uh, Stroy Moyd, because, I haven't seen him perform in a long time though. He just books so amazingly and, and is, has a huge audiences for whatever shows he does. 
Um, but I haven't see, actually seen him perform in a while. Who is that they're really progressing in San Francisco? I mean, there's so many funny comics up here. Um, and a lot of them have just moved away to, already to go to like LA or New York. That, that kind of happens. Um, uh, there's a woman named Drea Myers and she's very funny, but again, it's, they're all bookers. So it's, it's hard for me because I respect the hustle so hard of everybody who puts on shows that it's hard to sometimes just enjoy the comedy. Um, who's been doing bigger shows and doing stuff? I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know who to sing the praises of other than other than Stroy's whole hella funny group. He's, he's great. Um, and he's held it down during the pandemic. It's hard because they're, I haven't like seen any big shows lately. Um, I, I don't know who's, everyone's kind of the same. To be honest, everyone's kind of the same. People can, you make the audience laugh. They laugh or they don't laugh. I don't, I don't know who has like, cult following right now i i don't know i certainly don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. um but also the thing is because i run so many open mics i mean we're all we all suck uh, everybody's either, everybody sucks everybody's great people have their on nights they have their off nights sometimes you make people laugh sometimes they love you sometimes they don't i i mean i don't know i i, I can't really answer that question also also, I hate singing the praises of other people because I know no one's singing my praises. So I'm like, I don't want to be like, oh, they're so great. Because then I'm like, oh, look at me, give them more press. Because um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a jealous, I'm a, I'm a jealous little person. But I shouldn't be, and I, it shouldn't be comparative. I mean, the audience has an infinite ability to laugh. So it would be nicer if comedians could be more collaborative as opposed to competitive. Because we can all make the audience laugh in different ways. So there's no reason to hate each other. No, but a lot of us do. <laughs> now, what is what is the biggest thing you've learned in in comedy and in life that you like to give to people? What's the most? Um, I think it all gets back to that Go Go song. Um, Our lips are sealed. Just hang no mind to what they say. It doesn't matter anyway. Um it's what have i what have i learned uh, comedians are they are dirt bags uh they will uh they will stab you in the back um don't trust anybody don't ever trust anybody don't become friends with comedians honestly because you think they're your friends they're not they just want stage time please do not you can maybe take one or two and actually be friends with people but be careful keep your cards close to your vest um don't be honest with people uh, pretty much every, just negating everything that I would normally say about real life. I would say that just keep yourself safe and keep your boundaries up. Be funny to your audience. But other than that, like guard yourself because sometimes being, being in the community of comedy, it, it, it feels like an abusive relationship in high school. It just, yeah. it can be fun. It, it can be fun and it can be great. Just remember, just because you hang out with people every day, all the time, does not make them your friends. 
maybe think of comedy like work. And I know it's hard because there's alcohol and it's fun and you're out and people are expressing themselves and all these things are happening. But be, keep, keep, keep your heart safe because I never, never date a comedian. Never. Don't ever do it. Don't like one. Don't be near one. Don't do it. Don't have sex with other comedians. Don't do it. It will ruin everything. You're going to, it makes things uncomfortable. And you go to, we can't go to certain open mics anymore. And then, and then they go like, What's it? it's just, trust me. The, um, if I could give myself any advice to myself when I first started, it would be all of that. Don't trust anybody. Nobody's on your side. Um, take care of yourself. Um, yeah. And keep, keep your cards, keep your cards close to your vest. Don't, don't ever show anybody your hands. Just be funny on stage. Just be funny on stage. That's all you have to do. And even don't let people know who you really are. So there, that's what I say. I, I'm sorry. That's the worst advice ever. But um, if you actually want to get ahead in comedy, don't let anybody just be who you are on stage. Don't let anybody know who you really are because they'll use it against you. And um, they'll, they're so gossipy. I mean, it's just a bunch of narcissists. So be careful. Hmm. That's my advice. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think I definitely agree with you. That's a sort of a lesson that I'm learning quite a bit as well. But it's, it's a bit like um, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's. I've got a lot. The thing that I do like is I like that I got friends outside of comedy because I think it's. I trust them more than I trust anyone in it. Definitely. Yeah, the stage time really helps, and um, being able to like. You know, if I'm in a bad mood, I can do bad mood jokes and it's great. And then like anger becomes my secret weapon. And then everyone's laughing at my anger, which then is cathartic for me because I feel like, you know, I, I'm going to survive another day. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, some of the stuff you said is true, but some of the things I'm not too sure of. Not, not everyone I've come across in comedy is like that. I think the ones that you've got to be more careful on are the ones that are newer. Or the ones that are coming up more so than ones that are established. I found the ones that are more established tend to be more all right than the ones that aren't. Though there are some dickheads there, but the biggest ones are the ones that are coming up. And the, right. one, the worst ones are the ones that pretend to be nice or the ones that want to be famous. They're the ones that are, that are more likely. And the thing is, though, one thing I've looked at it, someone to be trustworthy or to have any sort of to be a friend of yours close friend of yours i think and to trust them secrets they got to be disciplined they got to have strength yeah. of character and they got to be mentally secure which are things that a lot of comedians aren't so it's a mm. bit and also they can't be jealous of you it's a bit and if they're those sort of things how logically how can you trust them with anything it's a bit because there's they're, they're too busy dealing with their own rubbish to that's absolutely fair. Oh, let's feel it. I feel like we just did some therapy. Yay. All right. Do you have any other questions? Are we, are we, how are we doing? We've been going for like an hour. Yeah. Each, each, most of them go about an hour, but the thing, oh, okay. what, what is the one, the other question, two questions I want to ask you now are, um, what would you like to plug at the end? But the first question I'd like to ask, what has been your biggest, what the fuck moment in comedy? In a good in a good way or a bad way? 
tell you what, most of them have, uh, I've had when I've asked this question have been a bad way. So let's say in a good way. Ha. Um, well, it's how about this? It's a good and a bad way. My biggest what the fuck moment was I was at a venue that was called, I don't remember what it's called now, but it was on Folsom Street. And I got off stage and I had a really good set. I was really happy about it. It the bar. And there was an older gentleman there and he was maybe like 70, something like that. Nice African-American gentleman. And then he propositioned me for sex, like a prostitute. He said, I have $78 in my wallet. Would you like to go have sex with me? And I was like, what the fuck? I just performed. I'm not a prostitute. I just did my jokes on stage. What gave you the idea that I'm a sex worker? Not that there's anything wrong with that. But also 78 bucks, bro. Like, come on. I didn't think that was enough money. Um, but also, like, that was the moment where I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing? Like, so I was just on stage trying to make everybody laugh with feminist jokes. And then he wasn't joking and propositioned me for sex. And it was one of those moments where I realized what our audience is looking for. Are they just, they just want to have sex with me or do they actually want to laugh at my material? Uh, so that was a what the fuck moment. What was the, what was the second question? What would you like to plug? Oh, what would I like to plug? Oh, yeah. Um, MutinyRadio.fm. We have a bunch of different podcasts. We do comedy um mondays and fridays at six o'clock joke workshop on monday happy hour on friday at six o'clock and it's a contest so i invite audience to be judges and they pick their five favorites and then i book those five people on one of my paid shows so my paid shows and my gigs are bar at dolores first and third thursdays of the month at seven every wednesday at asiento at 7 30 every saturday at atlas at 2 p.m i love atlas because it's outdoors in the afternoon it's so fun and the last saturday of the month at bar at dolores and then um the mutiny radio comedy festival look for submissions comedians from all over the world come out it's so much fun it's a week it's like summer camp you meet so many people you network with so many people you get tons of shows you do tons of open mics you get to meet all the san francisco comedians i give you a list of all the open mics that are happening so if you're not booked on one of my shows one day you can go do all these other open mics check out san francisco it's in october which is always a beautiful time of year and um it'll probably be like 10 or 20 bucks to submit i don't know yet and it just, but um, check it out. And you, you can listen to online to all kinds of things at mutinyradio.fm. And you can always give me money at Mutiny Radio um, at Venmo, all one word, if you want to donate to my free speech cause and um, to eating food in San Francisco. All right. So, guys, that's, that's been Pam Benjamin. It's been a pleasure <laughs> having her on. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Also, uh, remember to subscribe, share with your friends, give us a five-star review rating on Amazon or iTunes. But also, I absolutely love doing this. If you guys have any suggestions or any ideas you want to share, or if you want to get in contact, just send me an in email on info at instant-laughs.com. I hope to hear from you guys soon. Have a great day.